Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. This is episode nine. Once again, I'm joined by Chris. Chris, how's it going? I'm very good, George. I'm very good. Uh, enjoying the heat. How about you? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty oppressive. I think you've probably had a bit, have you not had some rain in Kent today? We've avoided all of it. Have you? Don't tell me you've had some because the garden needs it. No, no, not yet. I've been watching black clouds pass to the south. It's been quite frustrating. Chris, we've got another guest with us today. Tell us a bit about them. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. Actually, it came off the back of uh, off the back of one of our other podcasts we did with Guy Adams. Actually, provoked quite a big response. It's been our most listened to one yet. And a good friend of mine in the shooting world dropped me an email and said, uh, I, "I need, I need to come on. We need to talk. We need to talk." And so I'm really pleased that we managed to free up some time, find space in our diaries to have with us probably one of the more famous people in the shooting world. I bet you don't like being referred to as that, Charlie Jacoby. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, no, that's that's not true. Infamous, notorious, least liked, most shouted at. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure all of the above at different times, but that's usually because uh, you're just up to stuff and creating waves, no doubt. <laughs> Ubiquitous. Anyway, yes. Well, it's very kind of you to have me on, and um, yeah, I I did feel a bit desperate. I mean, I, I listened to Guy Adams saying his stuff uh, and I thought eh, it's just there's another there's another version of this but thank you for letting me on to talk about it a bit later on. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into it yeah sure I mean there, there's there's many arguments all these different things and look, look forward to chatting it through but first I think we've got our favourite round don't we George? Yeah that's right Chris. Uh, Charlie you're the guest why don't you tell us what's that you're drinking? Thank you right today I wonder if you can get this pop here we go oh did you hear that? Oh sounds sounds wine like well done, well done. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a bottle top. It was a bottle top, exactly. It's a glass bottle with a cork top. And it is uh, called Don Papa. And it's rum. And I'm going for rum and it's going to go into a hold on, little clink. Get that clinking noise. I'm going to go into a nice brandy glass for that. About half full. Now, um, there's a reason for rum. Am I, allowed to... I was about to ask why. Yeah, go on. Okay, well, there's two Charlies, you see. There's a, there's the a... <laughs> Charlie that drives the... 250,000 miles on a clock, terrible old car, and, and resumes around the countryside and, and films people. And then there's a Charlie who would like to develop a Caribbean habit, you know, the one, the one who would one day like to settle back and enjoy all the wealth, which unfortunately Field Speech Channel has not yet provided. Um, so I'm just making do with, with, with Ron at the moment. And, and I, just, I just want to I've had this absolute shocker of a year. So, you know, lots of people are going to look back on coronavirus and they're going to tell their children, if you, if you could remember it, you weren't really there. Because, you know, a lot of people had a very, very happy time over the last five months, locked down in their gardens, sipping away. Round about Christmas, I discovered that it's actually become almost impossible for me to drink anything without... 800 milligrams of ibuprofen. Otherwise, I'm wiped out for the following day. You know, so I've gone from you know writing down on doctors' forms alcohol intake that would provoke a visit from the social services to almost nothing. So it's a real pleasure to have stocked up on on Nurofen and and, and be digging into some good quality rum. Thank you. Brilliant. I'm. Uh, that's the second time we had rum. I actually bought an Antiguan rum on once for that exact same reason that I drink it. Like you, you know, you just dream of being somewhere else, don't you? <laughs> Sand between your toes, exactly. Yeah, he's actually the third person to bring on rum, isn't he? Because if you remember, Chris, one of our early guests, Tim Madams, brought on some Fijian overproof rum and made what did he call it? A sheer desperation. I'm in such good company then. I mean, that's he's he's he is a proper legend. That's wonderful. Well, he's a local lad to you, isn't he? 
He is Ish. absolutely down Exeter away. That's he certainly is. But uh, I mean, what, <laughs> what he's done uh, with uh, the Country Food Trust is absolutely stunning. It's uh, I think that is that really is one of the great futures for for game birds. Hey, just on that point, I've just posted on Instagram. Country Food Trust just delivered its one and a half millionth meal. So we aimed to deliver a million in the first five years. We did half a million at Christmas with a plan of doing half a million this year and we've done a million in eight months brilliant superb absolutely superb the growth's brilliant isn't it i mean it really it's it's one of those like you no doubt with the start of field sports channel when the brand grows everything sort of picks up and people sort of feel oh we should we should support that charity yeah that's that's the, that's the hindsight version <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that at the time <laughs> yeah indeed. Um, but no but i mean with, with country food rest, uh, country food trust i mean it, you know it's a uh, it's exactly right that it, it should be doing that, and and I you know I can't think when you're thinking of the, sort of the several things that we all need to support in the whole area of, of game, uh, uh, that is you know one of the great I don't know legs of our 18-legged stool. Um, it's 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 essential. Good, I'm glad you agree, Chris. What have you got this time? Uh, I've gone about as local as I can get. Uh, so the field opposite me is an orchard. So I have. Turner's Dry Cider from Marden in Kent, made with 100% Kentish apples. So, you know when you go to a cider festival or a beer festival and they've got a few ciders on the end? And they're obviously all flat and scrumpy-like or clear, and they've all got that quite distinctive beer festival-y style taste. Does this ring any bells with anyone? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Turner's produce a good cider, but it's it's one up from that. I mean, it's not it's not going to... I don't think it's knocking Aspel's yet, but it's lovely. And it's really local, and I love supporting local stuff. So that's what I've got. It's just a kind of two fingers to me being in Somerset, because, you know, I'm in traditionally <laughs> the big... I mean, it is also true to say that most people around me, you know, would prefer diamond white to your sort of proper scrumpy. We we reserve scrumpy for visitors from who come down, <laughs> not drinking that muck. Yeah, no. Well, I suppose uh, Kent, Suffolk, Somerset. Uh, that's probably the no, three no, big areas. Just isn't it? Herefordshire. No, just Somerset. It's just honestly, it's just Somerset. I don't know why you bother, really. <laughs> Well, I've done, I've lived in Suffolk and Kent, and I haven't yet lived in Somerset. I did say I would one day in my life, but uh, just because it's closer to my favourite shoots, but no other reason than that, really. <laughs> Extremely good reason. George, what have you got? Right, well, I had big plans. The thing is, is we've been doing this quite a long time now, and I have basically run out of interesting drinks to talk about. However, I realised that by the time this podcast goes out... I will have been with Guns on Pegs yep. for very nearly exactly a year. So I bought a bottle of champagne. Oh, blooming heck. Cool. <laughs> the thing is, is that while you guys were talking just now, I thought I'd uh, prepare so that I could do the sound effect. I, I started taking the cage off and the cork hit the ceiling. <laughs> champagne fountained everywhere. <laughs> I'm now covered in champagne. Are you going to say that, that it's never happened to you before? <laughs> Quite, yes, I promise. So I've got champagne everywhere and uh, I'm going to put what remains in the glass. That's magnificent. <laughs> Shocker. But the thing is, I had the microphone on mute, but if I hadn't had it on mute, you'd have heard the explosion and then the oh. subsequent swearing. <laughs> no. Anyway, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Yeah, cheers. Well, Charlie, so tell us a little bit about 
yourself and field sports i think you know you started field sports channel not a dissimilar time to when we sort of found ourselves running this little business guns on pegs it was we, we used to we used to meet up at events you know i mean i think probably first meeting i, I can't even remember where we first met but you know i suspect we were a tiny bit wary of each other but yeah that it was it was the sort of the internet revolution hit shooting uh you know at um from from either end <laughs> And we're still here, Chris. We're still here. I know. Fantastic. How, how many people back? How many people back when we started thought that the internet was going to go away at some point? <laughs> well, I've been to see a company recently, which I think has only just stopped thinking that. So yeah, I think there's still there's still a few old scalps to get. I'm afraid. <laughs> so tell us a bit about how you got started and why. Okay. Well, obviously, um, I found this begging on the street, desperate for a job. David Wright, my uh, my esteemed colleague. No, that's not true. David was a um, <laughs> David was a, a very good quality news producer at ITV, and he was looking around for something else. But he didn't see himself leaving ITV. I mean, at the time, you know, he would have a staff of five or six to go out and film something. And the, the reason we met is he he booked me as a kind of what's called a presenter's friend or a talking head to go out with him to Croatia to look at how they manage wild boar out there because he was making a piece about how they manage wild boar in Kent, and we got on very well and. One thing led to another. And in 2008, we sort of thought, well, maybe this is a goer. Let's give it a, a one-year run in. And in 2009, on the glorious 12th, exactly 11 years and one day from the moment we we're recording this to the day, we launched Field Sports Channel. And there was another guy involved with us at that time, Chris. Um, and I think he, he couldn't bear us, quite right too. Um, he, he left <laughs> after a few years. But since then, we've taken on, I mean, other people. We've had a you know, reasonable... Uh, amount of staff join us and we're now up to i think eight people produce the show each week uh, all really? in all eight full-time or um full-time equivalents yeah i do find it amazing when i get your email on a wednesday evening and i do sort of look at what's in that show i quick read your little praise and i think <laughs> how on earth have you put that together since last wednesday <laughs> <laughs> oh, well you're the, you must be the guy who's reading the email that that explains that i'm glad, I'm glad, we, <laughs> glad we worked that one out it's just the most fantastic open goal for television. So I don't understand why British television basically abandoned shooting, hunting sports. When, you know, you take a narrative, you know, a story, which is what, what we deal with in, in, in the world of the media, and the kind of hunting narrative, shooting narratives, I set out in the morning, dun, 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 I did this, this, and this, and bang, I got one. You know, that is the perfect story arc. It's just boggles the mind that the BBC could not be interested in that as, as an idea. just shows you know, how far the Islington ideological drift has been. So it's been an open goal for us in terms of telling stories. And uh, I mean, we're now up to... Can I, can I, am I allowed to boast? Am I allowed to boast? Yeah, go, go for All it. Right, go, go for it. Why not? One boast. Seven million viewers watch our programme. Seven million individuals whom we can reach via Google Watch our um, videos every 540 days so there you go that's awesome that's really cool thank you uh, charlie going back to what chris was saying about putting the show together each week i'm interested to know how far in advance you need to plan how many segments have you got in the can as it were <laughs> yeah you mean like a here's one we made earlier here's one we made earlier yeah, exactly <laughs> i'm going to uh, I, I used to answer minutes to a question like that but I mean, in, in recent weeks, it's been seconds. You know, there have been moments at which the upload has arrived at YouTube at exactly eight seconds before 1900 hours on a Wednesday, which is when it goes out. So <laughs> we are very, very bad at that. We, one of our staff members, Aaron, is our production editor. Uh, I mean, he's you know, grow, going to grow grey and old and bald at this rate because uh, he's constantly trying to get us to 
be at least a week ahead. And we just don't seem to be. One of the, the good things about that is, you know, it means we are pretty well on point with, with what's happening in the world. You know, so our news stuff yeah. has, to, has to go out on the day, really. And there's not very much you can do that far in advance. Um, shooting is a you know extremely dynamic sport in terms of you know not just what we could be doing at the moment, what we you know, what we're likely to be shooting next week. Just to give you an example. Yesterday was the opening of the grouse season, so we couldn't film a grouse shoot yesterday and get it up. That would that would be too much for us. But we had a lovely time visiting uh, some of the uh, moorland communities and uh, and talking to people for whom grouse shooting is a kind of essential part of their life, you know. And then a week before that, we had the row rut. So we had to do something on that. And I mean, normally, normal years, a week before that, we'd have had the game, game fair. So, you know, the, there's always something going on. It's a really kind of noisy, active sport to be involved in. That's no, really true, actually. I mean, we, we produce our game card on a, on a Wednesday. I say we. George, <laughs> you, you do. And yeah, there is often a lot to talk about. I mean, we find ourselves naturally because of what we do, we're not quite as diverse in topics that you cover. We find ourselves talking about a lot of similar things, but different places. Mm. But yeah, there is a lot a lot of news that pops up. I don't know, we, we try and stay away from the sort of news, hard-hitting stuff because our, our strapline sort of plan the best days of your life, whereas you have the opportunity to tackle all these really thorny issues because that is what you're there to do. Yeah, I mean, we used to talk, Chris, you and I, 10 years ago about how we were, you know, another version of the old idea of the shooting magazine. And, I mean, it certainly feels, I mean, Guns on Pegs has, you found a place, you're not threatening their magazines, but you are a, a very important part of game shooters' lives. How do you editorialise that? How do you, how do you sort of make, turn that into stories for people to read? It's tricky because, you know, so what's one person's interpretation of a shoot versus another can be totally different. But also trying to describe a game shoot, often you can have 10 shoots sounding exactly the same on paper, you know, high pheasants over deep valleys, you know, <laughs> I mean, how many shoots fall into that category? Mm. You have to really find the bits that make us excited about those shoots, I think. Why is it that you go back to that shoot? Is it the host? Is it the setting? Is yeah. it the sort of the bit around the edge? That's really what sets people people apart. I think that's the bit that we often try and focus on. And usually a quick conversation with, with a sheet owner brings that out quite quickly. I mean, you've done it time and time again. You can usually find out and you hear all this passion and then you're like, hey, look, that, exactly that. Can you get down on that, that down on paper, please? There are tricks, aren't there? I mean, we find that what people like is an exciting day, lots of character, lots and lots of people, action, relationship, that sort of thing. But they also like to be able to walk away from it having learnt something that they didn't know before. And we usually find that's that's the trickiest bit. And that is such a contrast to when I, I when I worked at Shooting Times back in the early 14th century. It was uh, all quills in those days. 25 years ago at Shooting Times, we'd go off and do shoot reports, and it was extremely formulaic. We have arrived at, duh, the first drive was blah, yeah. the signature drive was that, and we all had a lovely stew for lunch. You know, that's, you pretty well summed up the the shoot report for the whole of the 1990s, I think. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, you could almost have a sort of uh, pro forma, you know, just fill in <laughs> yeah. the name of the keeper and the name of the shoot. Yes, well, it was, it, was, it, was get, it was getting to that stage. I mean, the photography was, you know, what made all the difference in the 1990s. Um, but again, it just seemed to me such an obvious thing to turn that into video. You know, video was where shooting ought to be. Well, in, in that sense, I've got a question because... And the, and the question I'm going to ask is how that how has that changed over time? Because obviously the way that we consume media and everything else has changed. But before before you answer that question, I've got a stat I heard the other day, which I find find absolutely fascinating. It was a Google driven stat. They found that 20 years ago, the average attention span for sort of news and all related topics was 20 minutes. Guess what it is now, according to their statistics? Oh, God. Is it, is it going to be under five minutes, two minutes? What is it? 
<laughs> keep going, keep going. No. It's eight seconds. Gosh, that's worse than a picture in a gallery, isn't it? <laughs> that's really, really bad. So when it when it comes to that, how has that meant that you've changed what you do and how have you changed has it changed the way that people consume what you do well okay i mean this is a sort of slightly techie question but for me the answer is fascinating so bear with me um field sports channel is is long form entertainment that is where you know we're over 15 minutes long and putting that on youtube is like banging a square peg into a round hole because youtube when we started on it um, 11 years ago was for skateboarding cats which is a fairly short sharp (laughs) thing to enjoy we have maintained our long form entertainment in fact um thanks to our our shareholders and our supporters our members um they've actually urged us to create longer and longer shows so we we sort of now come out at uh, nearer 40 minutes per show and yeah it, it luckily youtube has sort of slightly caught up with us our average watch times, we do our half-hour weekly show and we split it up into its component parts, it's the, the packages which go into it because it's a magazine show. So let's say this week we have a, the piece about grouse shooting. We have a piece about Roy Lupton going fox shooting. He's been raising muntjac fawns near you in Kent, actually, Chris, and he's, uh, he's had two of them nicked by foxes. So he lies out on a roof and, and shoots foxes. And then we have, a, we have a few other items. We have a news bulletin, which David does, um, which is always entertaining, not least because you get to see what haircut he's got this week. Um, and, and we have uh, <laughs> my, my roundup of, I mean, of you, you know, YouTube is the most brilliant place to put hunting videos. Anyway, we get all these, these individual items and, and the whole lot goes onto YouTube one way or another um, on our channel. And our average watch time is over five minutes. So, you know, if you average it out, that's, that's pretty good. We're, we're, for the show, our, our average watch, watch time is more like 10 to 12 minutes. And I think that compares to terrestrial, which... The lovely Jeremy Hardy comedian referred to uh, radio as voluntary tinnitus. I think the same thing applies for applies to uh, TV <laughs> as well. You just switch it on in the background. But with our stuff, you've got to choose to watch it. You know, you've got to want to watch it. And we have to hold your attention. So the fact people are sitting there for 12 minutes watching our 40-minute our, our program before the dog barks or the toaster goes or whatever it is, I'm really pleased with it. That's fascinating. And, and to add to that... A- well, George, it's probably one for you, but we, we look at time on site as one of our key metrics to make sure people are getting what they want and, you know, finding the shoots they need and all the rest of it. And, and when we started, it's it's halved since then, but our inquiries are higher. So yeah. people are, are navigating the website more quickly, but it, it what it seems is that they are just getting the job done. They're not spending as much time just, you know, drooling over that, that next shoot they'd like to go to. And I think that's really interesting. <laughs> How much of your website, um, George or Chris, is, is, is for your for your your viewers just to kind of enjoy? You know, like looking at country life, people call, call it property porn. How much of it is kind of <laughs> shoot erotica? You know, just looking at lovely yeah. shoots and going, oh gosh, I wish I could do that. Oh, and how much is sort of serious people want to buy? This plays nicely into what George does and the reason George joined us a year ago. The, the quick answer to that is not enough. Is, is there for just pure inspiration. Definitely something that's the reason George joined us. So George has done a huge amount of work on that. And George, I don't know if you want to talk about the articles you produced, but um, yeah, it's it's such an important part. Yeah, I mean, all the articles that I produce, I write with the aim of trying to get people excited about shooting, whether that's an article about some new boots or, you know, a, an article specifically about a shoot. But you know, I think we'd like to think and we'd like it to happen more that people just sort of think of guns on pegs, you know, more like a magazine, as you say, rather than as this sort of one trick pony that you use twice a year to find some shooting. 
And, you know, I think it's also worth pointing out that, you know, we do every now and again do some newsy stuff. We've done a fair bit around coronavirus and obviously we do the game shooting census each year. And and these are always articles that do pretty well. So it seems like people are enjoying it. And, you know, it's something that we'll definitely be doing more of as time goes on, I hope. Charlie, on that point, actually, we've got something going live next week, uh, which I can't even talk about yet, because if it, if it breaks at the last minute and doesn't go live, then I'll look like an idiot. So, Right, it's an app, isn't it? Tell me it's an app. It's an app. Tell me. You're, you're launching an app, aren't you? It probably will be at some point, but there's something there's something first before it. Something else before the app. Oh, God. You'll enjoy it. It's something you, you I think you personally would just enjoy from a sort of from a hobby point of view. So, yeah. Anyway, bit of fun on that. Good. Yeah, I, I think this idea of, of just something you can kind of flick through is probably um, really sensible for what you and, and, and we do. And we're, we're currently building an app which uh, is going to be available to our members only, but it's it's going to have, you know, the kind of field sports channel experience all in one go. And, uh, you know, like you, one thing we are, I'm glad to say we are, we are long on is content. That, yeah. that marvellous American TV um, entrepreneur who died this week, I can't remember his name, but he, you know, he, he had Verizon and all that lots uh, and and his his catchphrase is content is king and he's so right so this is a pretty tenuous link but i'm going to go with it anyway charlie the reason you're here on the podcast today <laughs> is because you heard one of our previous episodes hmm. with guy adams who is explaining why he thinks shooting would do well to shun the limelight obviously you've got hmm. a different point of view presumably that's related to what you do so can you maybe just outline your position Mm. So there's quite a lot of what Guy says that I agree with, but I think there's a kind, there's a kind of logical gap in, in, in what he concludes. And, and there's a little bit of extra I'd like to chuck in to say why I think basically his, his premise is wrong. So he sort of says that if, if we, you know, what, what we've been doing for years and years and years is trying to say something positive about shooting in order to change the media narrative. And he says that doesn't work. He says, you know, that that's clearly palpably doesn't work and he gives a good example of why it doesn't work he talks about the dead cat uh, idea that you know if you're having an argument in a dinner party and it's not working for you and you drop a dead cat on the, the dinner table everybody will forget about the argument you've just been having and start talking about the dead cat and he says the dead cat in the world of shooting is for example you know every time we talk about the wonderful work grouse small keepers do to promote raptors and grand nesting birds somebody jumps to get a dead golden eagle on the table or you know a dead sustle lion or something like that and of course the media goes into raptures about that and and tells us how evil we are so so that that's his kind of his main line um and then he says lots of things which are absolutely correct you know i think um uh he talks about how under no circumstances must we persecute birds of prey Heather should not be allowed to burn out of control. I mean, there are you know, issues with that. Sometimes it does. There's not much you can do about it, but, you know, we try to stop it. Uh, and he also says that guns should boycott all shoots who fail to adhere to the code of good shooting practice. And I think, you know, I might even go further and say perhaps we should campaign on that and say, you know, guns who are turning up to shoots mm-hmm. that are not part of the BGA shoot assurances, you know, that, that kind of thing. I mean, I'm pretty laissez-faire about that sort of thing, but, you know, has it got to a moment where we need to signal our virtue but that's not the main point the main point he makes is that we should sort of shut up and that way the whole problem with shooting will go away and my version of that is no it's not going to um and uh, there's a kind of there's a there's a big reason for that and that is the we're dealing with animal rights fundamentalists and and they are we have a we have somebody who works with us at the moment um 
Ian Jensen, who took part in a uh, in a in a one a one and a half hour um, panel chat about how to deal with antis, you know, when they come onto your shoot, uh, how do you stop them? What should you do? It's a little bit more than just put your gun in your slip and walk away. You know, he he explains a lot about what motivates them, and unquestionably, they are not going to go away. You know, if we stop, if we stop appearing in the media, that there is no way. That that is going to stop Chris Packham or any of the you know the the hard nuts of the the real tough cases who wear ballot lavas. A group of them went on to uh, Grasmore in Wishaw, Derbyshire last night, according to Wishaw Walsh. Anyway, in Derbyshire last night, a, a group of anti stopped a dress shoot. Um, they claimed, according to one of the uh, SAB websites, they did get ordered off by the police, I think, but um, you know not before they'd ended a day's shooting. And, and then, and then there's a sort of the corollary to this, which is what? So what do we do about it? Well, the reason we go out into the field and make all these films that promote grouse shooting, and the reason we engage with the antis and you know try and show that they're wrong, is because we have a relatively limited amount of time left to change uh, what we call the social license. So at the moment, if you say to somebody, you know, I'm going shopping, they'll go, oh, that's nice. And if you say to somebody, "Oh, I'm going shooting," they might go, "Well, oh, not not so keen on that." And that, that that's their reaction is 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 the social license we have to do those activities, um, which is weird because back in the 1970s when I was a kid, it would have been the other way around. <laughs> anyway, there you are. Um, <laughs> so so we've got so we've got a very little bit very little time left to change the social license because media itself does not change rule, laws. You know, Chris Packham can campaign all he likes on the BBC. He will not change laws via the BBC. There was a nasty moment yesterday when the party adopted as policy the Chris Packham idea that shoots should be licensed because, you know, that, that, was, that was a sort of a media thing. But it's social license that changes laws, and we are running out of time with that. There's one final thing to add. About um, a year after I started Fieldsports Channel, I was talking to a gamekeeper, and he said, you know, I just don't think shooting is a spectator sport. And I thought, you yeah, know, he really has a point, actually. It, it, and, you know, I know what he's trying to say. It's a participation sport. There's something slightly icky about watching birds and animals being shot. And yet it is a spectator sport. Clearly, a lot of people uh, like to watch it on television. And secondly, there is an argument now, um, which I, I have not quite kind of crystallized completely, that if you don't do something, and shout about it. If you can't go onto the radio and defend it, if you if you can't talk about it or you won't talk about it, it becomes irrelevant. And if it becomes irrelevant, it will die. It's very interesting, Charlie. One of the points that Guy makes is that the media aren't really interested in the positive side of it. You've been on television to talk about shooting and hunting. Did you feel like you got a fair hearing when you went on, or did you feel that you were really there just as a punching bag? Mm. Oh, mostly as a punching bag. They, they, my favourite one of those was an ITV uh, sort of Godslot thing on a, on a Sunday morning, and we turned up to this uh, town hall in uh, in Leicester somewhere, and there's a t- live TV audience, and I think it was Nicky Campbell was a presenter, and I was sitting between two people, a, a man and a lady, and I said to the man, so, um, so what are you here for? And he said, I'm here to defend the censorship of comedians um, by Muslims. I thought, hmm, that's not good. <laughs> so I turned to the lady on my right and said, well, what, what are you here for? She said, oh, I'm here to defend paedophiles amongst the priesthood. But no, okay, I get this. <laughs> I'm in a really bad row here. <laughs> and it was, it was a bit like, you know, the, the circus maximus. You know, we were thrown to the lions, nothing we could do about it. Yeah, so that, that definitely happens. But the thing about media is it's not quite the kind of um, plastic you know, show that, that it looks like. 
So can I can I can I just talk a little bit about the um, last year's debacle over the game fair and the bird fair? Would that be okay? Definitely. Last year we were going to ambush Chris Packham. We had him. We had Mark Avery, uh, who's his psychic in Wild Justice, and we had a proper imprisoned animal rights extremist, uh, Jay Tin, and turning up. And the characterisation of those three <laughs> seemed to me to fit more or less where the, the fundamentalist animal rights lobby was at the time. You know, they they range from people in in black balaclavas who don't want to be identified on hunt and shoot days through to slick media people who grandstand their way through interviews with Piers Morgan. And they were going to go on stage uh, for 20-minute slots with me. And, you know, Chris Packham is a really good media operator. Unquestionably, he is very, very good at kicking people around TV studios if he needs to. And I had no doubt he would kick me around to the TV studio. As it was, the shooting organizations all actually banded together. I think probably the first time they all agreed on something. It was marvelous. Uh, and agreed that I shouldn't be allowed to do that. And the Game Fair folded up and said, okay, can't do that, and so we didn't have them there. The reason for doing it was partly to characterize them as alongside JTN and the bloke who'd been in prison for animal rights, but it was also partly because it would allow us for the first time to own the media about the arguments. Up to now, you know, we, all we've had is what the BBC or the ITV or, or whoever it is have, have put out. So when Chris very generously said, come along to the bird fair, our first question was, can we film it? He said, yes. We said, absolutely. And then we had our debate there, and, and it's on Field Sports Channel, and you, and you can see it. And, you know, he, he basically, you know, hits me with, it's, it's like watching a really unfair boxing match. Um, and, he, and he hits me very, very hard several times, and, uh, you know, I, I get counted out. But I own the media. I own the media where he spills all his little fibs about how Muir Byrne destroys the ozone layer by releasing gases from peace and about how moors are drained to damnation and how there are you know there's no wildlife all the moors are deserts and all that kind of thing and there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of a kind of a, a good thing going on there he, he i think he must have said to the people i was on stage with again mark avery and also his his second sidekick ruth Tinger, he must have said to them don't bully charlie because on television david and goliath david always wins you know if you bully if you bully the person there then you will you know, you will look awful. Um, and, and those two are not quite as slick as Chris, and they couldn't resist it. So got a bit of bullying in, and yeah, I got a tiny bit of sympathy, not from the room. I mean, it was like a cult. You know, there were seven, six, seven hundred people in that tent, and, and they, they thought he was, he was magnificent. So yeah, so we, we end up with a piece of media which we can then take and chop up and get answered properly. And then, and this is the really crucial bit. So we we have Chris Beckham telling one of his fibs. We have a proper scientist saying, no, that's a complete lie. And this is the reality. And if you're in the BBC and you're researching grouse shooting and you want to do your kind of panorama special on how awful it is, you know, death in the moors or whatever you want to do, you will have to see this piece of media. It's in the public space that is YouTube. You know, this has always been the disadvantage of having shooting magazines. They are for shooting people. We get to operate in the wider media. And you will see this and you will know that you will not be able to... I mean, I don't think the BBC is as biased as people think they are. I just think they're ignorant. You know, they, they have a kind of an urban slant. That's, that's what they're like. So you, you, they will not be able to just take what Chris tells them as read. And you see this happening over and over again. This morning on the Radio 4 News, you know, as listened to, if not taken part in by, by British cabinet ministers, there was a story saying a golden eagle had hatched 
on a uh, an estate in Scotland owned by, and they didn't say owned by Trees for Life because that would have shown where the press release came from. And they they literally said the Golden Eagle chick has has fledged from this from this estate, and uh, the the owner is nervous that it will be killed by uh, local grouse moors. How how did you how did you kind of lump a smear against grouse moors into a story about a Golden Eagle, a bird of population least concern, fledging a chicken? What, what's going on? So you know, this, this is this is how we change. This is how we change the narrative. How we change, uh, how we, how we improve the, the social license in our favour. So, so I've got a question because I think there's a, there's a bit of a theme on what you're saying here, which is if I, I watched that bird fair piece you did with the edits. I actually watched it in my other half and I was on the train and she was like, is this what you do on a daily basis? This is the stuff you're involved with. I can't take it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I suppose it is. I'm a bit immune to it now, but yes, it's rather stressful, isn't it? Anyway, we were watching that and, and I did like what you did there with the edits and, uh, and obviously quest- well, questioning kind, what but... he did. But that I suppose the difference between that production as a short piece or film or whatever you want to call it, as opposed to some of the other stuff that goes out on social media from someone who doesn't quite think about who's going to watch it so much is is vast and maybe that is maybe what guy could be alluding to because i that maybe is a bit a bit of a different question maybe well okay i mean so take uh, my mate larissa switlick from florida who is this kind of cool laid-back florida girl and she goes to scotland and she shoots a goat and she posts a picture on the internet of her shooting a goat and it sits there for a couple of months and nobody takes a second glance at it but unquestionably she's wearing camo and she says things like you know i'm a real marksman and you know stuff that we wouldn't necessarily say so i mean one of the problems we have in the whole world of hunting and shooting is there's no global consensus on on hunting and shooting you know we've done quite a lot in china and they like to wound things in china because it keeps them fresh on the way to the kitchen which is in China, perfectly acceptable. We don't like that at all. And in America, they like to go to Africa to decorate their houses, which I think, you know, more or less we can just about understand, but not really. And then we explain to an American that we like to walk slowly towards pheasants until they fly over guns. And they go, you must be nuts. You know, that <laughs> that's not hunting. So my buddy, Larissa, posts a picture of a goat. And two months later, one of the newspapers says, isn't it awful? There's an American woman in camo calling herself a marksman and shooting a goat. And there's this huge swathe of stuff, including politicians getting involved and, you know, expending political capital, including Michael Russell, MSP, who had ordered the estates to shoot the goats. Even he condemned it and said, we need a ban on this kind of thing. It's like, we need a ban on the thing I've just ordered you to do. (laughs) I mean, it was perfectly, perfectly illogical. But do you mean that kind of picture should not be allowed on, on you know, should not, should not be encouraged? Is that what you mean? If I, if I recall that situation, I think there was two versions of events on that photo. Uh, and I think one was slightly more disrespectful than the other and might, might have been involved. I don't know. I can't remember that particular case that well. But I think that we just have to be careful about what we post. And I, but I think that there's always a place for doing what you were describing at the bird fair. I just think my stance on this is like, be super careful. And just, you know, I think when we have, I don't know, the, bit, the bits that maybe get me are kills. I've got to disagree with you, Chris. I'm sorry. I, I, I think on this one because, and I'll just give you a couple of quick examples of why. So uh, when Cecil the Lion came out, there, there's a considerable weight of thinking amongst uh, Safari Club International, which is you know, a big organization in the United States, that the whole Cecil the Lion problem came about because the political lobby they use in Washington 
screwed it up. Uh, and uh, I, I can't, you know, you can give that credence or not, but I'll give you a very example, good example of, of, of two good examples of where we completely cocked it up in exactly the same way. And I think this is the rot. So going back to, do you remember the Exmoor Emperor? This yeah. Before you were born. <laughs> okay. It was about two that. years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Okay, the Exmoor Emperor. Um, so uh, <laughs> I'm very old. So the Exmoor Emperor, some Johnny puts his face up on um, Exmoor says, "Oh, big old stag's being shot. I'm very disgusted." And that makes the newspapers. Day one, somebody shot a big old stag. Johnny says, "I reckon it's probably one of the biggest stags on Exmoor." Translates into the Daily Mirror headline. Britain's biggest stag killed by evil hunters. Day three, day four, it continues in this vein. All of us shooters, I think I was working for Sporting Shooter at the time, all of us shooters are going, isn't somebody going to say something? And as it turned out, the British Deer Society was looking at Basque, Basque was looking at the Countryside Alliance, Countryside Alliance was looking at the British Deer Society. Nobody said anything. The story snowballed like crazy over a week. And by then it's too late. It had done the damage. You know, they could come out and say, it's a perfectly ordinary stag. It was going back. It was nine years old. Now's the time for it to go. But it was too late. Similarly, back in uh, 1997, when a lot of things went wrong for shooting, you know, we had the ban on pistols following the uh, awful Dunblane horrors. But we also had um, the the uh, policy effect of Professor Patrick Bateson. Professor Bateson was one of the kind of cabal of uh, Blairite scientists who came up with pretty well everything that went wrong with the countryside between 1997 and now. Uh, you know, they're, they're very much part of the Zoological Society of London. It's not, it's not a conspiracy. They're just kind of totally urban and, and stupid in their outlook. But Professor Bateson came up with this report for the National Trust saying deer feel stress when they're being chased by hounds. You know, to which my response, and I'm aware you are, you are able to use the bleep button on this because you will edit it. My response to that is no shit, Sherlock. Of course they feel stress when they're being chased by hands. I feel stressed when I'm running for a bus. You know, that, that is part of what they do. Fight or flight, they're, fl- they're in the flight area. So what do you expect? For a whole week, nobody said anything. They all kind of looked at their toes and went, oh, well, I, I had no idea. Perhaps we ought to, you know. And then the next thing you know, that the lily-livered, wet, weak, puny National Trust board under Charles Nunley had banned stag hunting on its land. This is a disaster. This is a massive disaster. Red deer are like our kind of wildebeest. You know, they, are, they, they, they basically migrate across our big moorlands. And you have to manage them on a moorland-wide uh, scale. Otherwise, you know, you will have 15 deer across 15 farms. 15 farmers will shoot one each. There'll be no deer left. And that, and that is exactly what happened after the National Trust condemned a large chunk of the, of the Exmoor deer herd to death. Good work by the National Trust. Um, so we we have got to be faster in our responses when things come out. We have got to you know work out what to say and say it quick. Now we often characterise the uh, shooting organisations as I think the Ministry of Shooting or the Ministry of Fox Hunting or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And and we feel somehow with Field Sports Channel we're more like the BBC. So we are able we're we're better at this kind of national media. And we now hope that in these situations. We're going to be quicker at doing these things. We are not as good as the antis. They are really, really good. But we're we're doing our best to catch up as fast as we can. Those examples that you've given are sort of slightly that they, as it were, reactive to stories that appear. One of yeah. the things that I think I was saying is that we shouldn't do anything proactive. Not yeah, you know, yeah, the I, idea I, of putting stories out in an attempt to paint shooting in a good light ahead of the fact is effectively futile. 
what well, do you he, he sort of he sort of half says that and he's half right uh, in that respect so constantly saying what a wonderful job we do for more yeah, we've said it and occasionally i mean there was a beautiful beautiful piece on bbc2 primetime bbc2 three or four weeks ago about the north yorkshire moors and yeah, the I saw important that. part really of the ah I mean, that is, you know, that is basically the, the result. I mean, if only more people saw that. I don't, I don't know about you, but I watched it I watched it sweating, waiting for the really anti bit of... And it didn't come, and I was like... going to do it eventually. I, I just wondered if no. I missed the first part or something. I was like, what's happened? <laughs> Normally, they time me to a stake and hit me. What, what's gone? They're not interested. I know. It was, no, it was just, you know, so that, 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 is, a, that is a good example of, of possibly... It, by beating the, the drum we've been beating, um, it, has, it has kind of worked. But he, you know, Guy is right. Those stories are boring and they will always be trumped by somebody slapping a dead golden eagle or a dead lion or whatever it is into the middle of the table and saying, what do you make of that? To which the answer is not a nice rug. And, um, and, and, and what we have to do is uh, continue to tell those stories and make sure they're available um, but uh, you know, perhaps not expend quite so much energy trying to get them onto national platforms. The BBC will seek us out. You know, we have got a lot of organisations, a lot of good people who are able to go and talk science. I think the bit we're missing, the component we're missing, is the ability to grandstand. You know, the ability to to go onto a morning chat show. And uh, I mean, some people are really good at diggery. Uh, Haydokas has done some amazing work, just being yelled at yeah. by Piers Morgan for five minutes. Uh, that that kind of stuff is great. Uh, we we need more people who can show that shooting is is a dignified, uh, and and also one thing we're not getting across at the moment is popular. You know there are nine hundred and fifty thousand anglers in the country who who buy their license. There are six hundred thousand shooters who buy their license. I mean that's two thirds. It's a lot easier to get an angling license than a, than, a, than a gun license. You know we are the last time they counted was in two thousand and three. The Office for National Statistics no platformed shooting. Cancel culture was alive and well in the civil service even then. They, they stopped reporting how many people go shooting in 2003. But at that time, we were three times as popular as hockey and twice as popular as rugby union as a participation sport. So we have a lot to shout about. This is something that's just occurred to me as well, which is that one of the things that, that you see you know, when an anti finds a post that they don't like that one of the things that you, they'll frequently throw as an accusation is that you're in some way mentally ill, that you're a psychopath or whatever, if you want to enjoy, if you enjoy yeah, shooting. Yeah. But by definition, if you have a shotgun license or a firearms license, you are among the most mentally stable people in, you know, you're sort of certifiable or not certifiable, in fact, you know, you, by definition. Yes. You are. You're a, you're a good citizen. And that is absolutely something. To, I, again, it's not a very sexy story. You sometimes see the, the world turned upside down with the uh, with the media. So normally, you know, I'd expect to be evil fox shooter um, slaughters poor little fox. Um, and there was a there was a program called Urban Foxes Live, which I did with uh, Brian May. And, uh, and 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 he, you know, wanted to characterize me as that as another good example actually there were four uh, four of them versus one of me and, and he realized that i was being bullied and and sort of and and, and went you know he, he tried to get the others to to stop bullying me because it just didn't look good on television to kind of allow me to have my say but then uh the sun carried a story about a vet surgeon we covered years and years ago 
who had shot a fox because it had killed his parents' cat. And the language was completely reversed. You know, they, they talk about what a wonderful guy he was and, you know, how that fox was a dangerous menace, threat to the community and poor little putty cat and all that stuff. So, you know, it is entirely a question of, of how you frame the story. There is a general laziness in, in British journalism, and I should know, because I, I, you know, I have spent 30, more than 30 years in the shallow end of British media, splashing around when by water wings. And, and, and if they can just basically repeat a story or repeat the kind of the narrative arc of a story that somebody else has printed, they won't get fired. And if there's one thing that journalists really want to do, and that's come into work on Monday, that is not get fired for <laughs> something they've written. It's so true. <laughs> We're going to see a slight change in how that goes over the next couple of years, which I'm quite pleased about. And I think this is an opportunity for us. We have one massive media organisation in this country up until the end of last year. It dominated everything we did, uh, the BBC, to the point where nobody would print anything, publish anything, broadcast anything, unless it was broadly speaking in line with what the BBC had just said, because they knew that they wouldn't get fired. Fair enough. Now, the BBC is about to become, the, I think, the fourth biggest media organization in the UK putting out um, news media. Um, so we've got uh, Apple, Netflix, Google is likely to launch YouTube TV over here. Um, those three could give us a much, much wider base rather than the kind of, you know, Notting Hill dinner party that we've been going for at the moment uh, of, of cultural value. And we could probably use that. That's really interesting. And I, I suppose I'd, I'd just like to sort of ask something a bit topical about what's been going on at the moment. And given what you've said about Chris Packham and, and aunties and things like that, there's been a bit of discussion recently about a piece that he wrote in Field Sports magazine and the response to that from Basque. And I just wondered what your thoughts are. Maybe you could summarise just a little bit of that for, for those that haven't actually read that piece just yet. Yeah, sure. So, so Packham wrote uh, in Field Sports magazine and there was a really powerful interview with, is it Owen Williams, the yeah, bird watcher yeah. who, uh, who supports um, or it comes across as supporting uh, ground shooting. And so there were two pieces. One was the uh, Owens piece, and the other was uh, Packham's manifesto of uh, how he would like his his well, I would characterise his terms of surrender. He would he would like <laughs> us to uh, to adopt. Um, so you know, um, Field Sports magazine was his um, his kind of railway carriage at Versailles, I think, and uh, he cast us as the Germans. So. The six-point plan for uh, surrender includes things like we voluntarily ban driven grouse shooting uh, because he says there's no future. Now, obviously, we'd have a few problems with that. And one thing Packham is, is brilliant at in the media, I think, is, is packing sort of three or four little minor points into a major point and you know, following it through with a kind of Iron Man-type punch. And uh, in, in amongst the, the stuff you will read there, he tries very hard to marginalise the shooting organisations. He appeals to you, the reader of Field Sports magazine. You are the one... I'm trying to reach you're the true shooter. All these Basques and these GWCTs, you know, they're just crazy people. Don't don't fund them. Don't, you know, he 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 goes for divide and conquer in a big way. I love the Owen piece because there's lots of questions he can't answer on his kind of bigger, fatter, porky pies. Um, but I would say that I don't agree with uh, the the way the whole thing has been framed. Unless there is something I'm missing here, which is very possible because I can be as dim as a talk H bulb too. But I think what Packham wanted to do, what he wants to do is say, I tried to talk to shooting. Shooting would not listen to me. So it doesn't really matter what he writes in the magazine. He wants the effect for him to be able to go back to the media at a later date. I tried to talk to them. They won't listen. You know, it's up to you guys, Nicholas Sturgeon in Scotland, Carrie Simmons, who you know, runs wildlife policy out of number 10, 
uh, it's up to you to ban these things for me. And I think that is a, is a unfortunately, is a, it puts us in a bad position. So getting him into the magazine then was like a, was was almost a sort of slightly naive, would you say then? But but maybe with the best of intentions, but not realizing how he was going to play this situation because he's just such a professional at it. So you know, I'm really embarrassed. I, uh, the publisher and I have been trying to publish the magazine, and I've been trying to talk to each other for for the last couple of weeks, and I haven't managed to do that. But uh, and I'm I'm sure the publisher. If you should get the publisher Simon Barr on next time to explain what his thinking was. Uh, but I'm going to just like. Guy uh, Adams put up a, a proposition I, I'm keen to knock down. I'm going to put up a proposition which I hope Simon can knock down. But I think it is, it is likely that uh, that this was not thought through to the point where there, you know, there is there, there was possibly a policy problem. Now, the way around that problem, um, which we have been trying to enact at our end, is to point out um, before he gets a chance to point it out that Packham won't listen to us. So we have been paddling like crazy underwater to get media out there to say, you know, we tried to talk to Packham, we tried to tell him like it is, and he just won't listen, which is exactly the argument he's going to use against us. Um, I'm not sure how successful that's been, but again, you know, some BBC researcher might pick it up and might say, okay, well, we won't take what Chris says totally uh, as read. We will, you know, we will be able to mitigate it a little bit in, in this way too. We might be lucky. We'll see. Well, your key takeaways? The, the, the key takeaways are positive. If you press him on the important environmental stuff, uh, which to me are wildlife, how much wildlife there is on moorland, the fact that we have more uh, carbon capture in our peat that you know would be threatened if it burst into flames, but is not threatened by muir burn, which is a coal burn over the top of the peat, uh, and the fact that we are working really hard to um, block up the drains that the government paid us to put in in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, you know, to re to re-wet the moorlands. Those three things uh, are, um, you know, he, he could not answer. And he's got a he's got another problem which they didn't ask him, which is um, he is funded, particularly with Revive in Scotland, largely by land reform people who have this sort of rewilding uh, thing. Now, in to my mind, you know. We who live in the countryside have been rewilding it for centuries. You know, the, the woodlands and, and fields, particularly the woodlands you see from your train window, were not put there for your benefit by the railway companies. You know, they, they are there for shooting and for hunting. We have been working on this management technique to the point where many people in the city don't even realise that the, the countryside is, is managed. So for me, a well-managed grouse moor is the perfect rewilding project. But for Ruth Tingay, Mark Avery, Chris Packham, it is, uh, it is, you know, they want to see trees. And and the trouble with trees, the kind of low scrub they want to see across Britain's moorlands is, first of all, it destroys 75% of, you know, unique heather habitat, world's unique heather habitat we have in this country, which is bad for the ground nesting birds we have there. Uh, and secondly, it's an absolutely brilliant fire risk. As, you know, we discovered when Bradford Council took over the management of Ilkley Moor, they basically let it go. And it, ooh, surprise, surprise, burst into flames, killing more grouse in a few hours than any grouse shooter had for years on Ilkley Moor. I mean, again, classic mismanagement. Yeah. Well, look, really interesting to chat all these things through, Charlie. You're obviously hugely passionate and very knowledgeable, fortunately for us, from our side of the the fence, as it were. And yeah, well done to everything you've you've been doing with with Field Sports Channel. And yeah, keep keep doing more of that stuff like you did at Bird Fair. I enjoyed that. (laughs) I'd rather you than me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much thank you very much for having me on Chris George thank you it's really kind of you
just to reiterate that, Charlie, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been really interesting to see the other side of the argument and do the balance thing. To everyone who's been listening, thank you ever so much for joining us once again. Before we go, I've got a little bit of housekeeping. My colleague, Alex, who is our membership manager, has asked me to plug our premium membership. It's the enhanced membership level of Guns on Pegs. Gives you access to fantastic discounts on shoot days, or a peg match feature to help you find the exact right shoot for you, a load of brand discounts, loads of other cool benefits. Go and check it out. If you don't follow us on Instagram already or Facebook, go and give us a follow. If you want to make sure that you get all those articles that we talked about and all the latest shoot availability, make sure you've signed up to the Guns on Pegs newsletter. Until next time, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>